You're listening to Podhaven. to DN8Bit with me, your host, Elodie Cunningham, and I'm joined in the lab today by... Your other host, Martin Bryson. And your third host, Thomas Ferrara. Yeah, when we first attempted to record this, we had this whole bit about how we were all pilots, but Thomas was the air hostess. That was, what, like five attempts ago now? Yeah, something like that. We have tried to record this podcast a million times. So I can't wait for my computer to die this time or something. It was so many attempts ago that I can't remember the bit. I don't remember this at all. I only so much has happened. It. So much has happened between attempts that I've like re-rolled my. I've moved basically. I rebuilt my bathroom mostly. I slept a lot. Well, that's yeah. <laughs> In this podcast, we're going to be looking at monsters and creatures from video games and trying to work out how we can explain them biologically, I guess, in terms of evolution and ecology and everything. So essentially, we're doing that uh, that nerdy thing where we try and apply logic to things that aren't meant to have logic applied to them. And uh, Speaking of things that aren't fun. meant to have logic applied to them, we're going to be doing Pokemon this time. Yep, and uh, we're explicitly not doing the anime because that's just too illogical. Yeah, no, that that's that's irrevocably fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Before we start, do we want to talk about our history with Pokemon? No. Sure, why not? Sorry, that wasn't as funny as I thought it'd be. Oh, too bad, they can't all be winners. Pobody's perfect. You want <laughs> yep. to go first? After you, man. Oh, thanks for volunteering me. Uh, I guess my, my uh, history with the series is kind of a long one. I The very first Pokemon game I ever played was actually with Pokemon Yellow back in my old Game Boy Color, back in, God, the olden days of 1998, maybe? Because I'm super old. And <laughs> I was only two years old. I was a wee Oh, Oh, little lady. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I became immediately hooked on it and played it hours and hours every single day, which you can do when you're 12 years old because nobody's going to stop you. And um, I learned that game inside out and then I needed more. So I picked up Pokemon Red and Blue and I played those to death as well. And I always get frustrated. I could never find anyone else to trade with because I could never get all the Pokemon that way. And then I moved on to Silver and Gold and I kind of took a break from the series for a while after that. I at some point gathered a huge Pokemon card collection from the first and second generations, which I still have somewhere. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was of that kind of generation of kids who were utterly convinced that there was a way to get Mew in the first games just by like pushing the truck <laughs> along. And and then, pe- and then I was remember how blown my mind was when someone showed me how to do the cloning trick with the link cables. Mm. It's just an incredible thing to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I used to watch the anime occasionally as well, but I, I kind of had a hard time following it because we didn't really have Sky TV. That in the UK we have Sky TV, and we didn't have that when I was a kid, so I kind of had to follow along the occasional episode whenever I could. And uh, I, as I say, I took a break from the series for a long time, and then I got fairly recently back into it. 
uh, playing some of them, some of them older games. I've been playing uh, Peril quite recently and uh, just trying to catch up on the older ones and reading up on a lot of the newer generations, which are have gotten quite confusing to me. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's uh, pretty much my story up till now. Not a lot more to it than that. So, how about you, Elodie? Me next. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as I say, I was a wee babby when it came out because I, I escaped the lines the same year that Pokemon did. Um, so when I actually started playing it, it was when um, Fire Red and Leaf Green had first come out. So my first game was Leaf Green, but I'd watched some of the anime before that. Then I kind of I just played a lot when it was in the GBA sort of time, and then I didn't get a DS for a while. And then by the time I managed to get one, it had been Diamond and Pearl had been out, and I wasn't that interested anymore. And I didn't pick it up until years later. I picked up Pearl for twelve pounds, I think, in CEX or Sex, as they want used to call it. Nice. Uh, and then I just kind of played them since, and my phone just doop dooped. Yeah, I still have a massive collection of current Pokemon cards. I've got a binder entirely full of ones that are in the current meta game, and two tins full of older ones. And I have one shelf that's covered in Pokemon plushies, and another shelf covered in Pokemon figures. So. I got a bunch of guys, and on Sun and Moon I've completed my living Pokedex, so I've got every guy on there as well. And yeah, that's kind of me. Well, I'll take the reins. Um, back when I hatched from my egg, I had a, uh, I was gifted, very kindly, a weird bootleg cart that had red and blue on it, and it also had some poorly translated version of either gold or silver on it, so I never played, uh, I didn't play Gen 2, but I did play red and blue constantly quite a bit um and i enjoyed them a lot but i never um i never picked up gen 2 officially and i never picked up gen 3 i kind of i think i played um i think i played fire red years later back when i um after i got my ds but it, the next official pokemon game that i picked up was uh pearl on the ds Lite way back when i was 12 it was a wee little babby at the time, and I absolutely adored it. I got my first, uh, I got my first shiny Pokemon on that Pearl card. It was a Gengar in the uh, cave where you find Giratina, and uh, then I stopped playing for Gen Five. Uh, I think just because initially the designs didn't really grab me, but uh, they've grown on me since. I, I like some of them now, and um, yeah, I picked up, uh, I picked up a 3DS and started playing Gen Six when Aorus was out. Uh, because I always kind of like looked at the Hoenn region when I was a kid and thought it looked really cool. And uh, yeah, I've been absolutely hooked ever since. And as we record this, I am shiny hunting in Pokemon X and in Pokemon Omega <laughs> Ruby. As we uh, as we do this, no luck. Haven't found one for a couple days. Getting kind of worried. <laughs> It'll come so, along. So if I scream during the podcast, it's probably because I fa- finally found that shiny pumpkaboo that I've been looking for. Good. Oh, I want it so bad. Uh, I it's spent so ages. Spent ages trying to get the um the shiny phantom, and I just couldn't get one. This wouldn't happen. That's in the other friend safari that I've got unlocked currently. Um, 
Oh yeah, quick cap to the story. Sun and Moon, best games yet. Absolutely love them. Can't wait to uh, can't wait to play Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. I am really kind of looking for an excuse to, to buy those. I've not had a chance to play them yet, and they, from what everyone's told me, they look really good. So, do it. Yeah, I, I, I went to a midnight launch event for them, which is the only time I have ever done that. They were well. They are. It just vastly better uh, better games in my opinion which we might get some angry tweets about because you know, people <laughs> people seem to think that having to dedicate at least two of your six potential Pokemon to uh, moves that are meant to be used outside of combat is good game design and fun for some weird masochistic reason that was yeah pretty standard in the old ones you just kind of had to live with that yeah have you you were saying about um having a version of a second gen game that was not quite official yeah yeah it was on um it was on this like i think it was a um i actually think it might have been a gba card and it had 50 games on it and it had just like a bunch of the old 50 games ones yeah, uh, a bunch of like low of... games, and then and then suddenly like three Pokemon games on this one cart. Have you ever heard of Vietnamese Crystal? No, but that sounds amazing. Uh, I'm sending you some screenshots from it. From the... <laughs> LED has now posted an image in the Discord, wow. listeners, in which the uh, character is standing next to someone, and the text box reads. N exclamation point drug bag fuck it's incredible <laughs> it, it, I mean, given me. what that scene is that is an adult scientist offering a child a bag of fuck a drug bag of fuck <laughs> hey that's the uh <laughs> that's amazing oak is the elf monster okay so i don't know um i don't know what our episode title is going to be now it's either going to be elf monster or drug bag of fuck Everyone call me Elf Monster. Everyone call me <laughs> Elf Monster, like and then one. the bass drops. <laughs> that does sound like some dubstep shit. Um, yeah, those are incredible. Is there any way to get a hold of this game? Like, can you? Is there an emulator? Yeah, there's a ROM. Amazing. That might be a thing to check out. I'm sending you one more because it's another great one. Oh, you bless us. Attach. <laughs> <laughs> Attach the health child to the elf. I love this. I love this high fantasy there, Pokemon. So I'm by what comes after it. I love high All fantasy right, Pokemon. Actually, oh my god, that's so I'm good. I'm sending you one more because it's great. Flea Don looks like he's <laughs> looks well. He's gaping. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Fleedon a... looks well. He's gaping. That's a big Snorlax gape too. Yeah. You fucking lose the pokey flute up there. Uh, this anyway, isn't a podcast for kids, to... by the way. Hello, children. <laughs> Hello. Share shall we with, get with your friends? Gotta catch them all, kids. To talking about biology now that we've looked at a Snorlax's gaper. I think we're here's been... the science part. I think we've been talking about biology plenty, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yes, uh, let's carry on. Yeah, Today we're going to be focusing on grass-type Pokemon, just because there's too many Pokemon to cover, 
and I think we're gonna kind of go back to it occasionally throughout the series because there's so much of it. Uh, but today we're going to start off with Brass-type Pokemon, and the first thing we're going to talk about is the starter designs. Because I think that each of them uh, represents a extinct animal, or is heavily based on it. For instance, the Bulbasaur line is based on proto-mammals, because it has... Um, reptilian and mammalian features such as its mammal-like ears but its scaly body. The shape of its body as well, the stocky body with the muscular legs and the large head. Yeah, yeah that's that's very um, reminiscent of proto-mammals. The Chikorita line, specifically Meganium, seems to be based on something like a Brachiosaur. Or any, really any kind of long neck dinosaur that has a more upright neck. Sceptile seems to be a, a sort of gecko mixed with a Deinonychus, and uh, Grovile is kind of the best example of that. Torterra is kind of an Ankylosaurus-ish thing mixed with a tortoise. I mean, I think that one's the most, maybe the most direct one to yeah. one in a comparison there, because it's really, really clear in the everything about that, that Pokemon. Yeah. Especially its its head is near one-to-one -one with an Ankylosaurus skull. Yeah, it is, yeah. Superior actually seems to be based on um, the evolution of snakes, because it starts off with four limbs, moves to having two limbs, and then just seems to have only kind of vestigial limb bits. And Chestnut is very much like a Glyptodon. Like, I actually, I actually think that one's the most direct one-to-one. -one. You know, now that I look at the picture of it, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, it's down to where the um, the bony plating is and where the hair is and everything. Just seems very similar. And the tail's exactly the same shape. And Decidueye is based on the Hawaiian Stiltow, which is a much more recently extinct animal. I also felt that they were a bit more uh, on the nose with the Hawaiian Stiltow. Uh, like, you know how Decidueye gains that ghost typing? Sort of directly referencing yeah. the fact that they're kind of recently extinct animals. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting way of thinking about that, yeah. One of the things that is also interesting is that, as well as having very stilt-owl-like legs, it also has the very um, unusual like feet configuration that stilt-owls had, and the, the way it has pretty much symmetrical back and front parts of its toes and stuff as well. Yeah, the four-way talons, yeah. That's, hmm. As... Yeah, and also its head also kind of looks like the, the cloak thing around the face. The markings of the green across the top and the white around the eyes does look like it's a hood, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I'm I, torn whether Decidueye or um, Chestnut are the most direct. See, as, uh, as, as Tom pointed out, I think the uh, that the Decidueye's ghost typing adds a little something to it. Like it's where its type is informed by its evolutionary history more directly than any of the others. I find that interesting. That's not an angle yeah. that any of the others seem to have taken. I think it might just be because of the fact that it's a um, it's a recently extinct animal. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I, th I think it's an interesting way of kind of uh, adding a little bit more to that one, though, to make that point clear. Yeah. The whole thing with the extinct animals does kind of inform a theory I have about all the starters. 
which is that they are animals that are extinct in the wild, but they have some in captivity. Yeah. Because you never see them in the wild in any of the games. They just seem to have a surplus of these very rare animals in the laboratories, which just kind of suggests to me that they have some kind of breeding program for these yeah. near-extinct bred animals. Ex- yeah. Bred exclusively in activity. Could you then view the uh, the granting of these particular Pokémon to, to young trainers as a way of kind of reintroducing them into the world? Yeah, it could be. I guess it could be like uh, seeing how they interact with the world that they are generally extinct in, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I think I get what you mean, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, it's also interesting to note that in Sun and Moon, if you use the island scan feature, it's pretty easy to get a hold of the Johto starter Pokemon on uh, on a lot like in the Alolan region. So it could hint that um, perhaps... Like now, now that uh, Sun and Moon quite cl- clearly takes place some time after the first games, that perhaps those efforts have been successful in some way. Mm. Well, I mean, there's precedent in um, Sun and Moon with the whole Lapras thing, because in Red and Blue, Lapras's Pokedex entries say about how it's nearly extinct from hunting, and in Sun and Moon, it says that they've bounced back due to conservation efforts. So that's another hint towards that as a thing. Our pokey knowledge of our pokey world just got a little pokey deeper, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember if it's possible to get the starter Pokemon and Pokemon Yellow, and I just had to look it up there. You can. You get them through trades with other trainers. Which, yeah, uh, so you still never get them in the wild. Yeah, they're still not available yeah. in the wild, which kind of uh, does support our idea that they are being like handed out to other trainers as a way of reintroducing them. And, uh, mm. and because in the in the second generation they introduced Pokemon breeding, you could argue that that's maybe a method of doing that as well, where they can get these Pokemon out, have them mature in a safe environment with the trainer, and then when they're old enough, they are then able to breed and potentially revive the population. And as you say, with the uh, with the Lapras population recovery, there is a degree of precedent for that. So I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. Well, I think we should put a special spotlight on the very best starter. All at once. Three, two, one. Bulbasaur. Bulbasaur. I'll sync that up, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) The thing I wanted to talk about with Bulbasaur is um, in terms of the plant that grows on its back, that it seems to show a level of symbiosis between the two species to the point where... um, Bulbasaur has evolved to the point where its entire physiology is dependent on this symbiotic relationship. And my theory is that either when it's an embryo or just after it's born, as it suggests in the Pokedex, the seed from the plant on the Venusaur's back is passed into the back of the Bulbasaur and then grows with the circulatory system and nervous system and everything which allows the plant to get nutrients from the circulatory system and uh, nervous system and muscles growing into the plant allowing the Bulbasaur to manipulate it and also it can pass uh, photosynthesis based energy onto the Bulbasaur as well because there is stuff in the Pokedexes about it sunbathing for food it's also heavily implied that's how its solar beam attack works it gathers energy yeah. through uh, photosynthesis using the plant on its back. So yeah, all this suggests to me that 
it's a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship where the Bulbasaur has grown into the plant and the plant has grown into the Bulbasaur and both are giving each other food and the Bulbasaur can use the plant as protection and the plant can use the Bulbasaur as protection. That is also, uh, that's also a trend that is continued a little bit further down the timeline as well in Generation 3. Uh, Septiles, little yellow bulbs, also, um, also according to the Pokédex, are filled with nutrients. But rather than, uh, rather than directly interacting with the organism, they, um, they plant them to help grow trees, which is a, a different spin on, the, on a similar concept, or the same concept, rather. That, that's more akin to uh, spreading the seeds like a, like a birds would do where they eat the seeds and then they kind of drop them all over the soil and it helps that's how, you, that's how the plant spreads it mm. itself yeah, no, yeah. I, I think it it could also be a level of macrosymbiosis so septile depends on forest and stuff for its survival so it has evolved to be able to nourish the forest itself as well. Actively support the growth of that forest. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Kind of like a defensive habitat maintenance. Yeah. I think it's it's another occasion where it uh, does have some level of symbiotic relationship with plants that grow out of it, because it does have like leaves growing out of its arms and things like that, and tail and everything. So I think that could also be how it produces the nutrient pod things, is through the plants that grow on it, if, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah no, I, think I get what you mean, yeah. So it acts as a sort of, not incubator exactly, as a sort of, uh, well, I mean, in, in many ways it is. It uses its body as a host for plants that then incubate the nutrients necessary to help grow the growth of other plants. That's a really an interesting yeah. symbiosis, yeah. The idea of that kind of level of symbiosis with an entire habitat is really interesting. Speaking of the Bulbasaur line again... Yep. Always back to Bulbasaur. <laughs> what do you think about its poison typing? In its Pokedex entries and its moveset, it has lots of stuff related to the plant on its back giving off sweet scents and things. Yeah, spores as well. It also looks very similar to Bioplume the plant on its back so i think it could be like a related plant organism because vile plume is a poison type that rather than doing sweet smells does bad smells since it's based on carrion flowers and um venusaur's plant does look like a um a younger carrion flower it's um a large carrion flower on the top of uh, a kind of almost palm-like trunk right if i'm trying to remember yeah yeah so I think that it could be a related species to the Vileplume line. And further supporting that, in my opinion, is that um, Blossom, the two flowers on its head, look very, very similar to Venusaur's flower. They do. They have the same, they have the same color and spotted pattern. Yeah. And the shape's identical, pretty much. And Blossom is much more related to sweet scents again. So, yeah, it could just be um, that they are two, two ways that that plant can develop, and one of them is more similar to the plant on Venusaur's back. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we, did that, we did that thing uh, where we both just go, hmm. Hmm. Excellent point. 
Science. Yeah, intriguing. I remember thinking the degree to which uh, there is mutual control between the uh, the plant and the Bulbasaur itself. Because Bulbasaur appears to have the ability to directly control the veins that grow from the plant. Hmm. It's vein whip attack, as in they are prehensile and fully under its control. Which suggests to me there's some kind of muscle and nervous system that interacts with the yeah, plant itself. Uh, when, what I said about the Bulbasaur growing into the plant is um, that uh, muscle and nerves grow within the vines and stems of the plant so that it can be controlled by the Bulbasaur. So the Bulbasaur can use the plant for its own protection and the fact that the plant is on this moving platform basically that will attack things for it keeps it safe as well so they're both they both act as protection for each other. Yeah. I mean, uh, if in that in that event, other Pokemon like uh, Vileplume or Bellossom, you one you 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 kind of uh, you are you begin to wonder what level of interaction they have with the plants on there too, if they're similar in a lot of ways, because most Pokemon that have plant-based appendages, for want of a better term, are able to use them directly as weaponry. They're able to release spores on command. They're able to release like razor leaf from them for example on command and that appears to be at the command of the pokemon itself not the plant yeah is well, that is that something typical I for think the typing we, i think them there's two kind of clades of plant type pokemon there's the ones that are animals with plants growing on them that they have some level of control over so obviously a lot of those may have evolved in a similar way where the plant grows into them and they grow into the plant so they can control the plant and the other one is the sentient plants sort of set yeah, so that's more where and your son karen in the lake yeah that's more where vile plume and that would fit yeah i suppose that's true that that does make more sense as a as a kind of animalized sentient plant where it is actually part of its body it's not a relationship per se yeah so I think the two types would be animals that have a symbiotic relationship with a plant that grows into them, and plants that are also sentient. So if we if we allow for sentient plants, which obviously Pokemon does, is there an argument to be made that the plant on Bulbasaur's back is itself sentient, or at least grows to be sentient? It could be. It could be that both of them have a level of control. Uh, I don't think there's anything particularly to support that beyond the fact that we know that it can happen. Mm, yeah. But we also know that there is non-sentient plants, so it's it's possible that it would survive better if it's non-sentient because um, having a sentient two different sentient things that may want different things. Yeah, that's counterproductive to survival. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it. It's probably more likely that plants growing on other Pokemon are less likely to be sentient just because it seems counterproductive for their survival. And I know we brought, we, we touched on this briefly before, but I wanted to kind of talk about it a little more. The if, if we go by the Pokedex understanding that the plant itself is implanted in Bulbasaur's back after birth, um, well, that raises a couple questions. Because, um, well, most Pokemon seem to be born from eggs, to start with. And uh, so it must mm. come after. The, it, it, but regardless, it, whether it's an egg or internal gestation, it's also 
having the plant grow into an already quite well-developed organism, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, that's, that's why I suggested that it's possible that uh, rather than how the Pokedex says it, it might be that the um, the seed is kind of moves from the plant into the womb when the egg is fertilized, so that the two things grow around each other. Yeah, that seems more plausible to me. Yeah, that seems like it makes more sense. There seems to be such a level of integration between the two that it just doesn't doesn't really seem possible for that to happen post birth. Uh, can I can I quickly uh, just take us on a little uh, tangent for a second? Oh, please do. Uh, you mentioned that it would be easier for the plant to survive if it was non-sentient because it was on a moving platform. What I want to know is, why did we not get an Alolan slack-off that was normal grass-type and had moss on its back like an actual sloth? Oh my god, that would have been so good. That oh, would have been pretty be great, good. right? That would have been so <laughs> good. I, I, like I know the reason. Wait, why? Because it's not a very popular Be Pokemon? Because they wanted to appease the Gen 1ers and only did Gen 1 Pokemon for Alola forms. Yeah, they wanted to appease the Gen 1ers, which they already did in X and Y. Pandering oh, to the yeah. old people like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that would have been great. Uh, just to get back to the thing about eggs before we move on... Um, there's an NPC in black and white, I think, that tells you that, um, well, it appears that most Pokemon lay eggs. In, in the case of a lot of Pokemon, it's actually more akin to a cradle, which would suggest that gestation happens and then they're placed in a uh, protective casing after birth. Okay, so it's something, yeah, that may be a bit more penetrable than an egg would be. That's... Yeah. Okay, so they gestate inside of the um, inside of the mummy, and then they're <laughs> they're given birth to, as you said earlier, escape the loins, which I thought was hilarious, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so they're given birth to, and then this uh, this prenatal or this postnatal um, like cradle forms around them. That's an interesting theory. That's. Huh, what if, what if that is how it happens, and the seed is planted on the Bulbasaur right before that, uh, cradle forms, and then it, uh, the seed is left in there to, gen like, gestate with the, uh, with the freshly born Bulbasaur? So, do we then assume that Bulbasaur are, quote-unquote, born in what we would consider to be a premature state, and they're kept inside this cradle to develop further? That certainly could be it. Uh, yeah. I think that, um, because the, the guy who tells you about that, the egg thing, does leave some leeway in that he talks about how in some cases it's not an egg but a cradle, but that also says that some can be an egg as well. Yeah. So I think in some cases it is that it is born prematurely in this cradle casing, so it has gestated and then, for all intents and purposes, a almost developed creature is born in an egg or or laid in an egg i guess that's that's really the cradle thing is really interesting it opens up more possibilities for development there and that would explain mm. why it would appear as though the seed is implanted in the bulbasaur 
after birth when that wouldn't normally be yeah. possible if it's only partially developed at that point it could be happening internally though the uh the seed planning could be happening entirely internally if we're talking about a uh, yeah a Venusaur that's i still its think the, life. i think the internal seed planting thing i think i like that better as a concept but if we're trying to take the pokedex's canon which we can't always do considering I mean, sometimes the science is just out of date you know well yeah i mean slugma is as hot as the sun apparently um, yeah okay that's not no. <laughs> while lord weighs like what 200 pounds or something yeah well there is well, a occasionally things through that... time so we kind of got to get it cut some physics leeway i suppose you know what I think yeah. it is? I think it's. The pro I think the problem is that they let eleven-year-olds fill out the encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that might be it. <laughs> Magikarp could jump over a mountain. Well, it apparently can according to Magikarp jump. Okay, according to Magikarp jump, yes. I mean, my one's going up at like three hundred meters at this point. Mine's at about wow. one hundred and twenty. <laughs> I have um, played Magikarp. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that kind of covers, in general, pretty much everything I had to say about the whole plants that are symbiotically related to animals. And also, kind of, I don't think there's that much more to say about the sentient plants, just beyond saying that they obviously seem to be plants that have developed a sort of nervous system themselves well Elodie what if I told you I'd like to uh, to flip it and go in completely the opposite direction and talk about some uh, some plants that gained sentience or at least you could argue that they had and also rather than uh, symbiotic relationships we could talk about some uh, some parasitic relationships some parasitic relationships or rather just one. Let's, <laughs> this is called the Paris Theory, and I like that because it sounds like some kind of alt-rock album. <laughs> or like yeah. a, an apocalypse movie from the 80s. We are the Paris Theory. Oh, that could boy. also... That's another uh, good you, episode title. <laughs> Speaking of Paris, then. Not that we were speaking of anything else, and that's not really a segue, but I framed it as if it was a segue. I mean, that makes it a segue, right? That's all you need. Uh, it's alright, I, yeah, exactly, I didn't exactly serve that up to you fresh. <laughs> Paul Blartmore Cop 2 is here, he's on his segue, and he's come to tell us about Paris. <laughs> I've always wanted to hear this theory told by Kevin James, I'm just excited for this. <laughs> I was about to try and do a Kevin James voice, and then I realised I have no idea what he sounds like. I was going to try, and then I realised I've never seen a Paul Blart film. I mean, I've seen Kevin James' other things. <laughs> yeah, he's just so... He's... Audio... Indistinctive, I guess? Yeah, so, he kind of... It's appropriate, because he's supposed to be an everyman kind of comedian, and... He is basically impossible to determine from anyone else alive, so... Yeah. 
The thing is, I know what he's he looks a... like, but every time I think about him, all I see is static. <laughs> almost like he, um, almost like he's been erased from the pool of available knowledge. Even though I still yeah, have a, uh, it's all right. That's the thing we actually whisper. get by listening to a Mumford and Sons song. I have a, a faint whisper of blood, but I, I can't actually grasp on <laughs> grasp onto it. Oh my it. god! You gotta stop giving us fantastic episode titles. We can't use them all in one episode. Actually, we, we can. can't we use can. the mall. We can the mall. The Paul Blart We could absolutely call this. Paul Blart took my drug bag of fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Blart confiscated my drug bag of fuck. That old elf monster. <laughs> <laughs> Paul. Well, Paul Blart looks. Paul Blart, like you're going to be uploading anything. it, so. You kind of have the final decision on this, so... Paul Blart looks well, he's gaping. (laughs) Okay, we need to move on, or we're just gonna get bogged down in Paul Blart's gape. Oh my god, bogged down in Paul Blart's gaper. (laughs) Oh my god. We can't can't call anything that ever, because then no one will listen to our podcast ever. Except sure that's where you are. Pretty sure that's where you go in the games to. Speaking of Pokemon, that's where you go in the games to uh, find Reggie Gigas, I believe. Deep into a uh, Paul Blart's Gaper. Sort of a dungeon crawl. Pokemon! <laughs> uh, well. Cicadas. Cicadas, cicadas, cicadas. There are two Pokemon based on cicadas. The first one to be introduced was Paris, and the second one to be introduced was Ninkada. Paris is effectively a cicada that has been infected with a uh, mind-controlling fungus, which seems to be based on a type of fungal pathogen called Massospora cicadina. Can I get that one more time, please? That was good. Massospora cicadina. And one more for the ringtone. Massospora cicadina. Love it. Amazing. It germinates hibernating young cicadas, because cicadas usually kind of live underground eating roots for about 13 years and then all come out of the ground at the same time or periodical ones do at least and it usually infects very young cicadas and then when they are about to leave grow into adults it grows the cicada can no longer become an adult it has a massive fungus growing on it, and that produces spores, which then infect the next generation of cicadas. And even though it's not mind-controlling like the Paris fungus, it does seem to be very similar in that it stops the cicada from becoming a flying adult since it becomes parasect. Whereas Ninkada, which is a cicada without a fungal infection, grows into Ninkada, which, um... Wait, what? Uh, 
<laughs> and you mean you mean evolves into ninjask, and in certain uh, certain odd cases, Shedinja. Yeah, well, Shedinja as well. Shedinja is just the the shed skin that has a ghost in it now. Yeah, I don't think Shedinja has any particular relevance to this theory. It's um, just cool. Yeah, <laughs> it is cool. It is cool. I can't wait to do my shiny hunt for um for Ninkata because if you uh evolve a shiny Ninkata with the correct method to get a Shedinja, you get the shiny Ninjask and the shiny Shedinja. So it's yeah. kind of a uh, it's kind of it's a very quick hunt. So I'm I'm good for that. I'm I'm happy for that one. I might might do that if I ever get a mining. I love the fact that there is two undead cicada Pokemon. Two separate ones. So there's Shedinja. What's the other one? Shedinja uh, and Paris, because it's already Parasect. Yeah. Of course. Parasect, yeah. because Parasect, the whole thing is that it's completely... The fungus has completely taken over the mind of the Pokemon at that point. It's like the Last of Us-style fungus zombie. Yeah. See, so, yeah, my, my theory about this, and the one that we have talked about a million times when trying to record this podcast now... Yeah, we're all we're all we're all quite familiar with it now. <laughs> yep. Is that the fungal infection unlike Massospordas Cardina Love that gem. When it infects populations of Ninjask, it doesn't just affect a few of them. It literally co ops the entire species. Forces them to adapt in a way that makes them better suited to being hosts. And whenever it, whenever they lay eggs, the spores are already on those eggs. So in effect, there's no way of them not being infected at that point. This fungus, this fungal infection, wipes out entire Ninkata populations on, on the whole islands and even arguably continents. Because, yeah. you, and we talked about this before, you do not naturally find Paris and Ninkata on the same land masses. Yeah, they only ever appear in like special circumstances. Seemingly as whenever they do something which is kind of an invasive species thing at the end of games. Sometimes they will have Ninjask appearing or Paris appearing. And it's way more worrying when it's Paris appearing. Yeah, because it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. about to wipe out all the Ninjask here too. Yeah, and they will all end up becoming a population of Paris instead. And it just seems like it's a fungal infection so suited to co-opting a species that it does not leave any of them on a landmass not infected. Yeah, so we must assume it's a very rapid infection process. As soon as the as soon as a Paris or Parasect starts to appear, the infection begins very, very quickly and takes over the whole island. Because of the fact that the spores are infecting all of the eggs, and then whenever, when they begin to interbreed, their eggs are getting infected, and it just ends up rapidly progressing. It's very similar to stereotypical zombie infections, now that I think about it. Yeah, it's kind of like a Paris zombie apocalypse. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's what's going on with Paris. A really tragic Pokemon, but I mean, perhaps even more so than the than the ghost Pokemon typically are, because that's entire generations of an entire species wiped out. Yeah, and the other thing about it, according to what the Pokedex says about them, Paris has its own sentience. 
which is entirely wiped when it becomes Parasect, when the yeah. fungus it com- completely takes over. It completely loses the ability to think for itself, yeah. And that's explicitly, yeah. that's not even implied, that's really clear. Yeah. A mm, little bit of visual so, shorthand for that would be uh, Paris's, uh, Parasect's eyes being completely white, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Just to well, give that a... Uh, see d- Parasect's face or head features properly under the, uh, under the, the, the growth, either. The cap of the mushroom, yeah. Yeah, and it it just seems like uh, uh, what is the Pokemon switches? Your Paris essentially dies, and now the fungus on its back is the Pokemon. And going back, just briefly going back to what we talked about with sentient plants before, the fact that it's able to be trained uh, suggests that this fungus is sentient to an extent. Mm. Not that fungus is plants, but... Well, yeah. It's still grass type. It's still a, it's still a grass type. I think, um... It's hey, connected. Look, if it's good, you know, there's a relationship yeah. there. I, I think that the... I think the fungus is definitely sentient, considering it... If it's good enough for Professor Elf Monster, it's good enough for me. I'll, I'll call it a grass type. <laughs> <laughs> the one other cool thing that's kind of unrelated about Parasite that I wanted to say before we finished up, one of the Pokedex entries, I think, says that they gather on mass on trees and just drain the trees of all their sap and nutrients and everything and just leave them tree husks. Terrifying. Go on. Which both is both reminiscent of... um how young cicadas basically sit underground sucking on tree roots for years, and the fact that there are funguses that uh, end up covering trees and sapping them of... So it's essentially adapting that young cicada behaviour and to make it far more aggressive and, yeah. uh, and more efficient for the fungus. Yeah, so I think that it's it's using the actual feeding mechanism that young cicadas have because it doesn't become an adult cicada it stays as a larval cicada throughout when it's a parasect so i think it's using the behaviors and feeding methods of cicadas in order to very aggressively get its food which i think is pretty cool (laughs) And terrifying. And horrifying. These parasect <laughs> zombies are swarming over entire forests and draining them. Yeah. It's a good thing we have Sceptile. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. Give them the nutrients back. We're building a whole ecology here, guys. Yep, so uh, with, this, uh, with this grass starter episode, we have effectively planted the seed <laughs> for our entire... <laughs> Pokemon ecology thing. Uh, this podcast, by the way, just a quick bit of um, admin, is not specifically only about Pokemon. We will uh, we will throw in yeah. other stuff. It's just that when we thought of um, when we started talking about potential uh, franchises to form an ecology around, Pokemon was the first thing that popped up because it's all about that. Like it's all about yeah. creatures. So. It's probably going to be a, a mainstay on the podcast, but uh, it's not all. Yeah, I think do. it's one we're gonna we're gonna hop back to in between other things. We're gonna revisit it quite regularly, I think, because there's a lot, there's yeah, a lot of great stuff there. And uh, there's no way I'm gonna be able to resist, uh, uh, you know, Snorlax's gaper or fucking the drug bag of fuck. 
So we've got running jokes already. Basically, this is a good podcast. Rate it highly on iTunes, please. Five stars on <laughs> wherever you get your podcast, please, and share it with your friends. Yeah, let everybody know about our drug bag of fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it completely misrepresents what we are to. It does, I'm sorry. I realise this is a discussion podcast and I'm just in here making it awful. <sighs> Call me the elf monster. What I wanted to say quickly, um... Sorry, an, a poster fell down for the third that time today. Out, out, out for you, it's gone in for you. On the yeah. upside, gravity still works. Well, that's really <laughs> That has not uh... stopped. The initial plan that we were going to do is was originally to have a two-parter based on uh, grass-type Pokemon. Uh, but my initial plan for that was to have the second episode be about sentient plant Pokemon and the first episode being about symbiotic relationships. But I think there's not actually that much more to cover about sentient plant Pokemon, so I think we're just going to do something else next time. And if we do want to come back to it, if there's something else that you think of, we could always do that later. Yeah, but I think we're, we're done with plant Pokemon for now, and we'll see what we do next well, time. We haven't decided yet, yeah, so. it'll be a fun little surprise. It'll be fun for us all. Uh, yeah. We've been DN8Bit. I am Thomas Ferraro. I'm Martin Bryson. I'm Elodie Cunningham, and this is where you can find us on the internet! Uh, yeah, should we do that bit? Um... (laughs) (laughs) Preferably. Oh, uh, before that, actually, I'm gonna insert a promo for another Podhaven show here. Oh, hi, didn't see you there. Oh, hi, I didn't see you there, Hawk. Are you interested in in terrible internet fanfiction? By god darn I am, sir. Do you like it when uh, the hosts of a show do not write anything down in preparation for a promo? It's my favorite thing in the world next to fanfiction. Oh, hello, miss. I didn't see you there. Oh, hello. I was just listening in on your conversation about high-quality free fanfiction. Welcome both of you to my laundromat. I see you are both here to do laundry and also talk about fanfiction. Is that Naruto over there? Having sex with Sonic the Hedgehog? Yes, while they wash their clothes. Sonic is washing his his shoes, and Naruto is washing his headband in my laundromat that I own. And his shuriken. They've destroyed my freaking washing machine. But they're f***ing quite a bit. It's attracting a lot of customers, including you two. That makes me want to listen to the fan canon on Podhaven. Original promo, do not steal. Well, I'm going to steal it anyways. I'm a criminal now, too. Ha 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 ha. Wasn't that fun? That was a good ad. Those those wacky Podhaven kids are up to their shenanigans. Considering I'm in three out of the four podcasts we currently have. It's a fairly safe bet you're going to be in whatever Uh, it is. (laughs) Yeah, if you want more Elodie, which you should, uh, you can absolutely get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But for now, Tomas... Yes. Tome ass. Oh no. Ass made of books. <laughs> Where can we find you? Uh, deep, deep within Fleedon's Gaper, you can find me at <laughs> I-N-N-A-U-T-I-C-O on Twitter, where I will start tweeting again, probably. Um, Enotical! Yeah, yeah. Um, Enotical! You can only say it with that mighty Bouchard's voice as well. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, Enotico! <laughs> oh, yeah. put it in you!
Um, and if I do anything else ever, um, it'll probably be there as well. So uh, yeah, just do that one. You should be all right. You'll you'll get the rest. It's all good. You'll figure it out from there. Bye. Yeah. What about you, Martin? Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at F-R-I-E-F-R-I-E-B-U-R-G-E-R. Uh, don't ask me to explain that. And uh, on Tumblr... Uh, I've always wondered. Yeah, it's it's a long, long story. I'll, co- I'll, I'll cover it at some point. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> Someday we'll learn. That is like the season finale of the N8 bit will be the story. <laughs> It'll be name. some sort of tragic yeah. backstory or something, or a shocking reveal. <laughs> Uh, or you can also find me on Tumblr, which I don't use that much, but I use, I'm starting to use a little bit more. And on uh, Fry Von Freiburger, that's F-R-I-E uh, for that, and that's all one word. And uh, yeah, get me there as well. And what about you, Elodie? You've got way more things than I do. Oh, yeah. I do a bunch of stuff on the internet. And yet, I still only have 83 Twitter followers. It's no, no, no justice in the pop- world. You can come and follow me, join the 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 crew of eighty three and become eighty four uh, at Kemi Words C H E M Y Words on Twitter, and you can also pay me money on Patreon, which nobody does at the moment, but that would be great of you. Thank you very much. Actually, um, actually, listeners, you can't become Kemi uh, Words' eighty fourth follower because I'm getting in there right now. Oh, boom! You can oh, be I knew the... you already had eighty-four. I'm eighty-five. Wow, your wow, brand is going already. You're way oh, behind. Did I... did I go up one during this? Yeah, I did. Not even released yeah. it yet. You're already getting fans. Huh? Patreon.com/slash Kemi was to pay me money, please. You can also find me on various other Podhaven shows, um, which is IndieHaven.com/slash Categories/slash Podhaven. Blue is my personal favorite. Or... Thank you. There's a new episode coming out today, hopefully, if I can get the editing finished. Ooh. I was about to say I did the music, because I always say that, but I don't know whether I've done the music for this one or not. I might have. Uh, uh, but you can find my music a, uh, quantum state right now. <laughs> you can find my music at chemicalwordsmith.bandcamp.com and you can find me on YouTube at just search for LED Canium. And I recently did a video about marginalized identity representation in the Halo series of Video James. So, that's a thing. That was really good and interesting. It made me want to play oh, Halo for the first time in a very <laughs> long time. Uh, but yeah, that's me. Um, we don't have a... I don't remember if we had some, like, fun way of rounding out episodes for this. Um... Because, I mean, we only finished recording it, like, once. Every other time it just died. Yeah... Hey listeners, uh, water your plants. <laughs> Don't overwater them. Can you encourage back Tell to Hey listeners. Hey listeners, tell us ab- tell us about your family. <laughs> what kind of family you got? What kind of family you got? <laughs> Anyone who's listened to the uh, most recent my brother, my brother and me will get that. Yeah, I listened to it earlier today, so it was on my mind. Wonderful. What kind of family uh, so you yeah. got? What kind of family you got? Bye, Bye. everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. I still didn't find a shiny during this recording. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Podhaven.